As superhero movies are becoming mainstream entertainment at theaters around the world, comic fans also have plenty of heroic action on the small screen to keep them sated while waiting for the next blockbuster. We are in a golden age of superhero television shows, with plenty of offerings from both the Marvel and DC universes, and the trend shows no sign of slowing down. To chronicle these recent shows and even examine some of the classics, we are proud to present Weekly Heroics, a two true freaks guide to heroes on TV. In every podcast, we'll be doing recaps of individual episodes of one Marvel show and one DC show until we catch up to them or some supervillains shut us all down. My name is Scott McGregor, and I'm the fastest podcaster alive. That's what she said. And I'm Chris Tyler, one of your agents of cool. To bring you this podcast, we each have to become someone else. We each have to become something else. started. Hello, welcome to another episode of uh, Weekly Heroics, Tutorik's Guide to Superheroes on Television. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Scott McGregor. I'm here with Mr. Chris Tyler, hair metal hero once again. Oh, I've digested a big belly burger. Hold on. Yeah, I, I am too tonight. It's going to be a rough one. I d- <laughs> debated uh, whether I should go out and get some antacids before this, so we might get some good bodily sound effects on this podcast tonight, which I will not edit out. Because the ten-year-old in me just will not allow me to ever edit out a burp or a fart, you know. Yeah, just... that was the thirty-six-year-old in me opening a diet Dr. Pepper. <laughs> there you go. I'm on about my twenty-fifth uh, cup of coffee for the day, so uh, that that'll be good too. So you're fine. <laughs> I am definitely fine. I don't know. Twenty-five cups of coffee and only four hours of sleep. So oh, uh, oh, there you go. See which one wins out here. But I digress. Uh, once again, we're here recapping some Marvel and some DC shows for you, fine listeners. And um, yeah, we're going to continue with our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode one. Um, what do we got? Episode five tonight. Our season one, episode five. And then we'll be doing the Flash season one, episode three for you. So I guess we could uh, dive right in and I'll, I'll take the Marvel side of things tonight. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And um, I'm going to give uh, credit where it's due tonight to Wikipedia, where I'm getting my synopsis. I'm a little lazier than usual. I usually do an extended one myself, but I did watch both of our episodes again, so I'm keeping the faith there. Uh, hey, 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 keeping yeah, the faith. And, and this is a pretty good pretty good synopsis. So, But uh, I had almost like completely forgotten about this episode because it's, kind of, uh, it's an important one because it's Girl in the Flower Dress. Yes. And um, where you finally get introduced to one of the, the key players in Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, but I'd kind of forgotten about this. It's kind of a Monster of the Week uh, episode. Um, but we get to meet Mr. Scorch, and let's jump right into it. And, of course, Reyna, uh, who ends up being very important in this show. Anywho, Chan Ho Yin uh, is a Hong Kong street magician who dreams of becoming something more. He rev- uh, reveals his secret uh, pyrokinetic ability to a girl in the flower dress named Reyna, uh, who is now playing 
um, Tulip, I'm Preacher, by the way, uh, who kidnaps him and then promises him fame in exchange for running a few tests on his powers. Upon being informed of Chan's abduction by his handler, um, S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Quan Chen, the S.H.I.E.L.D. team attempts to trace his whereabouts. Now we also find out a little exposition uh, here about S.H.I.E.L.D. and that they're, they're, they actually have a running index of powered people and um, some that they have, you know, some that they have to, they've had to detain and presumably stick in a vault somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and some like Mr. Uh, Mr. Ho Chan Ho Yin here, uh, who ends up being Scorch, who they've contacted and essentially said, okay, we know you're a super-powered person. We'll leave you alone. Just don't, you know, <laughs> don't do anything. You know, don't, don't kinda, do anything. Kinda, yeah, it's kind of the Harry Potter, you know, don't use your magic in public, basically. Um, you know, or we'll come calling. And uh, and we also kind of find out the kind of in a, and it almost sounds like uh, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s not above just taking out a powered person when they need to as well. Uh, they kind of allude to that a little bit. Well, they're covert. Yeah, you know. Um, anyway, they find out it was uh, that it was Rising Tide who leaked the information that led to his, um, his capture. Uh, now, what happened is Mr. Chan gets uh, taken in by the, uh, the girl in the uh, flower dress and, um, you know, the the seduction that turns into a kidnapping scene um, takes place. And, uh, yeah, Rising Tide leaked the information led to his capture, and, uh, of course, everyone's given kind of the side-eye to Sky about that one. She protests her innocence and believes that she knows that another hacker who could have released the info. They head to Austin, Texas, where it's revealed that Sky has a relationship with said hacker, uh, hacker who is named Miles Lydon, they're both led back to the bus in handcuffs after a little uh, naked time um, with a team and, you know, and super hacker, uh, you know, kind of scolding Sky for becoming part of the establishment and all that good stuff. Um, anyway, so they get both taken back in handcuffs. So the team flies to Hong Kong to uh, rescue Chan. Chan discovers his captors, uh, who are associated with Project Centipede, remember them, are injecting him with the extremist serum, which increases the strength of his flame powers. Uh, but, of course, they're also doing, you know, uh, they're doing covert tests, you know, to, to try to improve the extremists. And they don't really care too much what happens to Mr. Chan. He's a means to an end. He becomes Scorch. Never should have given him a name. However, Reyna <laughs> turns... <laughs> Turns on Chan and orders Dr. Debbie, who previously worked on Mike Peterson in the first episode and such, and other doctors uh, to have his blood yeah, to have his blood platelets harvested for further experimentation by Project Centipede. Upon being freed during a shield raid on the Project Centipede facility, Scorch kills Agent Kwan, attacks Coulson in May, and incinerates Dr. Debbie quite spectacularly while Reyna escapes. Um, they are forced to activate the unstable element of extremists, and they actually kill Mr. John. Miles is released from S.H.I.E.L.D.'s custody, though he's fitted with a tracking device and that logs his computer activity as part of his probation. Coulson is told by Ward that Sky hacked the mainframe for them, and are unsure if they find uh, unsure if they will find the masterminds behind Project Centipede. Sky is later harshly questioned by Coulson and tearfully reveals that the reason she is with a team and worked for Rising Tide is to find her missing parents who were connected to Shield in some way. Coulson pledges to help her, but fits her with the same tra tracking bracelet that Miles is given, 
And in the final scene, Raina visits a mysterious man in prison to discuss the outcome of the experiment and asks him to contact the mysterious clairvoyant. So, very, you know, by the numbers uh, kind of episode, move the mythology along a little bit as far as Project Centipede, and we, we finally get our first taste of this mysterious clairvoyant. Um, and, um, yeah, uh, Sky kind of took a couple steps back there as far as being trusted by the team. And, uh, Coulson, I can't blame him. No, and Coulson had to eat a little crow with, uh, with, some of, with May in particular, um, you know, and when they were all telling him, telling him that she was a risk. Uh, so yeah, it, it moved it along nicely. You know, kind of a monster of a week, monster of the week, and they ended up having to take him out. Um, so you know, kind of very revealing about Shield that they're they're not above doing that, and it, it almost seems like they have kind of a low threshold for for making that decision in in the beginning episodes like this. As, as said, uh, Sky is noticeably kind of taken aback when they're first explaining the whole index thing to her. And there are many people on it, but, you know, the ones that, that are very closely monitored. And, and as I said, some are just very closely taken out, <laughs> <laughs> sent to Tahiti. It's a beautiful ah, place. It's a magical place. <laughs> yeah. Magical, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it, I'm just going to keep harping on this until we get to that that second half reveal. It's They, they really are kind of stuck doing this for the time being on the show. Which I, I mean, it's entertaining enough, but it is it, going back and rewatching it. It does feel like wheel spinning to a, to a mild degree. Uh, you know, they're going to be tracking down people with powers. There's going to be the paranoia about getting Sky on the team. Uh, I mean, <laughs> not so much that. I had a little problem with. I don't think it's necessarily wheel spinning in that they just had to kind of drop or quickly wrap up some things. Um, I, I don't think like. They could have made Project Centipede, and and they brought in extremists, obviously from like Iron Man three, and that only showed up for you know a hot second. Uh, yeah, and and wasn't if you haven't seen Iron Man three, you're probably a bit lost on, on what that was too. They didn't really go out of their way to explain it all that well. I didn't think so. Uh, I expected, you know, as I said, I, I was a fan of the show from the get go and had no problem with these, you know, non mythology moving you know, Monster of the Week episodes, because that's what I expected S.H.I.E.L.D. to be doing, kind of going and checking out, um, you know, supers and and intrigue stuff, but... Yeah, I don't. I didn't have a problem with it either. It's I'm just looking at it in hindsight. Yeah. And, I mean, just knowing where the show ends up eventually going, it, it is, you know, going back and watching it, like I said, it does feel a little like, okay, all right. But except for go. seeing her on Preacher and... Um, you know, Arena has uh, kind of an alarming physical thing happen to her. You know, she gets a haircut later on in the series and uh, looks a little different. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to say. Yeah. And yeah. Um, to see her pre that again is just it was, it was kind of cool and kind of alarming to what what an amazingly beautiful woman Ruth Nega is. <laughs> and I'm glad they picked her for Tulip. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, she's she's definitely striking looking. Yeah. Um, yeah, she. I, she. It's interesting that she's really sort of the reoccurring villain, you know, for the time being. Yeah. Uh, and it there were definitely points in the show where it could have been the easy to phase her out. Yeah. Uh, but they do give her a through line, you know, through the second season, so she does stick around for a while. She's just a great like femme fatale type villain, though. In the beginning, you know. Oh yeah, the, she's she's ruthless. Yeah. Do it in a. 
in a determined way mm-hmm. more than anything else. Yeah, you know, we we will see, you know, in, in soon to be coming episodes her you know, her devotion to this mysterious clairvoyant that she's got a personal agenda of, you know, why she wants to gather up powered people and help with these experiments that Project Centipede are doing. Yeah, but it's going to end up being a case of be careful what you wish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So other than other than her, um, you know, not a lot happened uh, except some of the reveals about the way Shield does business, um, and obviously, shy, uh, yeah, Sky taking some steps back, and but we find out about her her mysterious uh, quest to find out about her parents. So. Um, yes, which will become a running theme. Yeah, which once again got to call it out. Kind of just you know. Uh, is a little bit of a retcon from the first episode where she claims that she knows what her real name is and all this. Um, well, she's a hacker, and a couple of guys in black suits rolled up on her. I'd be lying, too, you know? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, absolutely. That's an easy enough retcon for me. Well, I think it was nice that they, they had a little, you know, uh, sky sexy time. Always good to see uh, Chloe Bennett in a bra. Can't complain there from a purient uh, point of view. And That's, um, that's true, that's true. <laughs> And, you know, it also throws the seed of doubt in our, our mind. It's like, how many other little contacts does she have out there? Is she, you know, still not on the level with S.H.I.E.L.D., even though she's finally came out and said what her real motivation has been. But Yeah, I mean, the fact that Joss Whedon had any hand in this at all, it'd be easy to believe that by the end of the season, she could have, you know, turned around and been a, a bad guy. Yeah. You know, there's always just that little bit of doubt there during the this first chunk of the season but i can't imagine anybody on the shield team becoming a bad guy just that's beyond me preposterous yes absolutely whedon wouldn't do that to us (laughs) well (laughs) well we'll get to that yep in a couple more weeks all right sir i'll take you let you take us over to the dc side of things and uh another episode of flash you like cheap comic books right well i'm professor allen and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the Quarterbin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. My name is Barry Allen, and I am the fastest man alive. Then an accident made me the impossible. To the outside world, I'm an ordinary forensic scientist. But secretly, I use my speed to fight crime and find others like me. And one day, I'll find who killed my mother and get justice for my father. I am The Flash. So we are going to be covering episode three of The Flash, which was titled Things You Can't Outrun. Uh, uh, uh. Clever. Uh, uh, Clever uh, boys. Uh, yeah. Oh, yes. All right. So let's bust into this plot here. 
So Barry and Iris are exiting a movie, and Iris talks about how intrigued she is by the red streak, to which Barry tries to change the subject, as he does. And then Iris gets a call from Eddie, while Barry gets a call from Cisco, informing him there is a high-speed chase. Iris is turned with her back to Barry, and Barry super speeds off. A police car is in pursuit of a pickup, and the driver is armed with a gun, and the red streak... I'm not going to be using that. If I see that, I'm going to be saying the flash intervenes and the policemen are left astonished as to where the driver of the pickup has disappeared to. Policemen turn to see the driver handcuffed in the back of the police vehicle. Barry runs back to the theater and Iris doesn't even know he was gone. One of the crime families in Central City are all sitting down to a meeting and one of the men in the building, Kyle Nimbus, more often known as the Mist uh, in the comics, I believe, locks the door to the building. As the crime boss, uh, crime bosses start the meeting, a green smoke engulfs him and he suffocates. The rest of the crime family is also attacked by the green smoke and shuffles off the mortal coil. Joe and Barry are at the police station, and Joe tells Barry that he's going to reopen the case of Nora's murder. Eddie interrupts them, telling them of a homicide in which the crime family died, and Barry quickly suspects that it was a metahuman who attacked the men. So what happens in Central City after the particle accelerator explodes? Metahumans everywhere. Yeah, it's a good bat at that point. Yeah. So we uh, cut to Star Labs, where Dr. Wells, Caitlin, and Cisco speculate on how the metahuman is controlling the gas. Trio talks excitedly about the metahuman when Barry tells Joe that they get really excited about these sort of things. This will become a running theme in the first season. <laughs> Joe says he's only excited about putting criminals behind bars and Ironhide's prison isn't equipped to hold metahumans. Cisco says there is one place that might hold them. Dr. Wells agrees, but Caitlin is upset and says it's cordoned off. When Barry asks them what the place they're talking about is, Dr. Wells answers the particle accelerator itself. So we go to a flashback, and we're cutting back to the night of the particle accelerator explosion. Cisco informs Dr. Wells inside of Star Labs that there is a thunderstorm in the area. Dr. Wells shrugs it off, and Caitlin and her fiancé are discussing where to go on their honeymoon. The fiancé is uh, Ronnie Raymond, by the way. Dr. Wells gathers everyone as he turns the particle accelerator on, and Cisco says he thought when the particle accelerator was turned on, there'd be a loud bang. Where Ronnie, who is one of also uh, Ronnie is one of the engineers as well in the particle accelerator, he informs him that they would be in big trouble if there was a loud bang. Doctor Wells opens a bottle of champagne, but some of the champagne floats out of the bottle and then falls to the ground. Suddenly, the lights go dark, and then there is a loud bang. Of course, <laughs> so uh, building up to something going on at the particle accelerator in the flashbacks. <laughs> All right, so we'll cut back to present day, and Barry notices notices Caitlin is upset and Dr. Wells tells uh, and he tells Dr. Wells that he can use her to help identify the poisonous gas knowing she doesn't want to go down to the particle accelerator yeah, so we uh, cut back to the West household where Joe reviews the tapes of Henry Allen's testimony where he tells the interrogator that he didn't I didn't kill my wife <laughs> he calls for Joe to tell them I don't them care <laughs> I don't care oh man that's a great movie <laughs> alright so uh, <laughs> Joe um he calls for Joe to tell them that he's telling the truth and that he would never hurt his wife. Uh, Eddie stops by the house to surprise Iris, not knowing Joe is going to be there. This is, well, you know, Joe and uh, well, uh, Eddie and Iris are hiding their relationship from, mm -hmm. from Joe. Um, let's see here. Uh, Iris opens the door, and Eddie quickly gives an explanation as to why he's there. Joe is suspicious of Iris and Eddie, uh, but before Eddie leaves, he asks when they can tell Joe they're dating. But Iris says her dad will kill her. Eddie tells Iris that she is killing their relationship. CW drama. 
Yeah. Hey, man. Gotta have it. That's what it's founded on, bro. Yeah, yeah. At Star Labs, Cisco and Dr. Wells visit the particle accelerator to figure out how to turn it into a makeshift metahuman prison. Dr. Wells leaves to go and check on something, and Cisco experiences a flashback. He and Ronnie are running down the particle accelerator to try to shut it down manually. Caitlin doesn't want Ronnie to go down to the accelerator, but he says that he has to go. Ronnie tells Cisco he'll go and shut down the accelerator, but if he isn't back after two minutes, Cisco needs to initiate the lockdown. Ronnie isn't fast enough, and Cisco is forced to close the door to the accelerator to contain the explosion. Nothing bad or dangerous or weird could possibly happen from this. No. <laughs> okay, moving on. Barry and Caitlin are busy processing the gas at CCPD, and he asks her what Ronnie was like, and she tells him that they met when he was building the accelerator and she was working at Star. And she says that Barry might have noticed that she is a little bit guarded of herself, but Ronnie always found a way to make her laugh. She says they were two very different people, like Ronnie always used to say, like fire and ice. Foreshadowing? Foreshadowing, yes, might be. Hmm. Ronnie wasn't supposed to be there that night, but went to support Caitlin. The computer is done analyzing the uh, gas, and they're baffled uh, to find DNA of another person inside the victim. Creepy. Usually that's, you know... Yeah. In a different way. Yeah. Well, I'm sure, yeah, being CSI, I'm sure Barry sees that a lot, but yeah, in, in a different context completely. So uh, we're going to cut to a shopping center in Central City, and a woman gets into an elevator. As the door closes, our villain for the episode, Kyle Nimbus, enters the elevator, and the woman recognizes him immediately and says that she thought he was dead. Kyle transforms into the gas cloud and kills the woman. Barry and Caitlin deduce that the metahuman doesn't control the gas. Like they thought, he is the gas. (laughs) Yeah. Barry overhears on the radio that there is a toxic gas attack at the shopping center, and he suits up, but Caitlin doesn't want him to go, fearing he might die. Oh, that that Caitlin Snow. She's such a nice person. Um, Okay. Barry races to the mall, but he finds that the woman is already dead. He sees the gas dissipate through the door and follows it. Barry finds Kyle, and they fight, but Barry is no match for Kyle. Kyle poisons him. And uh, Cisco and Dr. Wells track Barry's vitals via his suit. And then suddenly Barry is standing next to them saying he can't breathe. They put Barry on the bed and cure him, but not before they get a fresh sample of the poisonous gas. Now that the team have a sample, they start analyzing it to find the culprit. As they're waiting for the sample, uh, Cisco renames Kyle The Mist. Again, coming back to Cisco naming the villains. Back at the station, Barry tells Joe what Kyle is capable of, and Joe informs Barry that the woman who was killed in the elevator was a judge. Barry feels distraught that he couldn't save her, but Joe tells him that he can't save everyone. And for every person he saves, there is going to be one person who he can't save. This is something that I feel is not uh, said enough in most modern superhero tellings. You know, they... Even Superman, you know, he even he has to realize that he can't save everyone. You just you you'd kill yourself. You'd go nuts. Yeah, you can't, uh, yeah. It's like you just can't. So at Star Labs, Barry sees Caitlin is uh, still all distraught, and he apologizes for scaring her when he was poisoned. Caitlin tells him that she's too scared to go down to the accelerator, fearing the pain and the bad memories of the night Ronnie died. Barry accompanies her to the accelerator, but when she sees it, she's too she too experiences a flashback. So uh, during the accelerator malfunction, she's running down to the accelerator to see where Ronnie is. Cisco tells her he's still inside, and he can't get him out because the facility is in lockdown. Before Ronnie went in, he gave Cisco a walkie-talkie. Through the radio, he tells him that he adjusted the vent so when the accelerator explodes, the blast will go up and not out. 
Cisco gives the radio to Caitlin as he goes to do some adjustments, and Ronnie tells Caitlin that the explosion is inevitable, and he wants to tell her something, but presumably dies in the accelerator before he can. Back in the present, Caitlin says that he saved so many lives that day, and nobody will know. She says she didn't want him to be a hero. She wanted him to be her husband. As they embrace, Cisco tells them, uh, calls them back and tells them that they need to needs to show them something. So the analysis of the gas is complete, and it's identified the, as the toxin uh, hydrogen cyanide. Yeah, that sounds terrible. <laughs> Dr. Wells tells them that there is a sedative mixed within the molecular structure of the gas. Barry deduces that it must have been a death row inmate. Ooh, that Barry's smart. Yeah. Caitlin searches on the computer and finds that Kyle Nimbus was scheduled to be executed the night of the explosion. The explosion allows him to turn into the poisonous gas whenever he wants. They look for a connection between the crime family and the judge, and they find that Kyle was a hitman for the crime family, and when he was arrested, the mob turned on him and testified against him. Never go against the family. Uh, and the judge is the one who sentenced him to death. Barry remembers that the miss said there was still one more person who had to die, and Caitlin finds that Joe was the lead detective in the case. Ah, oh, Jesus. Dun, dun, dun. Of course, Joe's the only cop in Central City, don't you Of know? course. <laughs> the best cop in Central City. <laughs> yeah. Barry phones Eddie to find out where Joe is. Eddie tells Barry that Joe's at Iron Heights. At the prison, Joe meets with Henry. Uh, that's Barry's dad, in case you forgot. At first, Henry isn't happy to see Joe, but Joe tells him that he's reopened Nora's case and he will get him out of prison. Joe then begins to apologize to Henry for not believing him, but Henry reveals to Joe that his belief in Barry was all he cared for. The mist shows up and poisons Joe. Barry arrives just in time and gives Joe an antidote. Henry is the first person to see the Flash but doesn't recognize him because Barry's moving his head too fast. He's doing the classic, you know, super shaky yeah. thing that they always do. Um, so the team at Star Labs tell Barry that the mist can't stay in gas form for a long period of time. Barry f takes, the, takes the fight uh, with the mist outside the prison and uh, he eventually just keeps uh, just, just, waits. Yeah. just giving him a little tease, you know, running a little bit away, making him try to catch up. And eventually the mist passes out <laughs> it was so. really kind of one of the lamer like defeats of a villain the show has maybe ever had just kind of yeah, just run around wait him out <laughs> hey man i'm over here come and get me <laughs> pretty much yeah and uh, it was just like yeah one punch and like yeah it'd be barry almost looked disappointed in himself he's like wow that was oh, man i should have at least yeah. pulled the the tornado thing on him or something <laughs> that's what i was rooting for <laughs> yeah, well, they don't want to do that too many times. No, no. All right, so the last chunk of the episode is uh, back at Star Labs. There's a prison built for the Mist until they can figure out how to take away his power. And ostensibly, that's going to be part of this season is trying to cure the metahumans, um, which does kind of go by the wayside as we go on through the season. Um, in the hospital, Joe wakes up looking at, at Barry, who's fallen asleep. Uh, he woke up right at the moment um, that oh, – what? He woke up right at the moment – and they had a brief... Oh, jeez, this is terrible writing here. Um, yeah, I'm just going to skip that line. Yeah. Iris and Eddie came to tell him that they are a couple to which before they do, Joe responds that he knows because he's a t detective. I love when they <laughs> do stuff like yeah, that. It's, yeah. like, it's like, come on. Yeah. Joe's, Joe's, Joe's a veteran man. officer. Come on. Yeah. Uh, Eddie asks... Scene and Eddie's like, oh, so we're cool, basically. And Joe's like, like hell no! <laughs> I just don't have my gun on me right now. <laughs> Joe's like, motherfucker, I was in Rent. I will sing all over your ass. 
<laughs> Eddie asks if he was mad, which he responds saying that they will have a different conversation if Joe had a gun. Yeah. Which Eddie then leaves to let them chat and states that he had to look into the witness protection yeah, program. Great lines. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> that last scene was probably maybe the best part of the whole episode, in my yeah. opinion. Uh, yeah, Joe asks Iris if, uh, if he's serious about this, and she says that she really does like him, and Joe answers that he will try badly not to shoot him. All right, so we cut back to Star Labs. Dr. Wells is in his wheelchair, staring at the Flash's suit, and then Dr. Wells has a flashback to the night of the explosion. Cisco tells Dr. Wells on the intercom that Ronnie did it. That You know, that was save the day. Yeah. Dr. Wells says he's on his way down. On his way, he stops and enters the uh, secret time room that he has there. He walks to his panel, opens up a surveillance screen, looking at Barry in his lab at the CCPD as the lightning strikes him. Yeah. And Dr. Wells remarks, see you soon, Barry. Yep. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, yeah they, they, don't, they didn't play with the foreshadowing or the letting us know that, that Wells has a deep hand in, in Barry's creation, basically. But that's what, that was the hook, though, man. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Got me going. Yeah. Oh, yeah. First little bit of tid, tidbit of trivia, uh, when, when you take a look at the theater in this episode, uh, there's two films being advertised, uh, Blue Devil 2, Hell to Pay, and the Rita Farr story. Uh, so Blue Devil, as we know, is uh, a classic 80s DC character who was a, originally worked in Hollywood and then actually becomes a Blue Devil. And uh, Rita Farr is um, Elastigirl from uh, the uh, Doom Patrol. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that that trivia is way above my DC favorite. Yeah, grade. It, Rita, Rita Farr was in yeah in the Doom Patrol story. She Rita Farr was an actress. Um, yeah, so that's uh, that's kind of cool. cool. Yeah. Um, another cute little thing was uh, Barry uh, stating that he doesn't want a museum built in his name. Because yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the Flash Museum might be the coolest thing ever. I hope we get to the point on this show. Where there is just a giant flash museum set up in the middle of Central City, that would be amazing. Hopefully, it's on Earth Six or something. Probably right now, we'll get to see it. I'm sure. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, this is um, this episode is not about the monster of the week. This episode is about getting the flashbacks to where everybody was before Barry came into their lives. Yeah, um, for you know, for the Star Labs crew, um, you know, you, you got to tease Ronnie because he's coming back in a big bad way. And um, you also have to uh, the the, the meta human prison that they build. Uh, you know, you got to have somewhere to put all these people. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, and that's a that's a big one too. And and you know, uh, it's, it's some one of the little ethical holes of the show. You know that, that that they don't discuss much. I think it's been brought up, but you know, it's it's kind of yeah, hanging out. Joe there like is cool big... with it. Joe is cool with it. <laughs> I'm cool with it. I'm cool. With I think it. eventually they do. Something. I, well, eventually Captain Singh is like, where are you bringing all these people? And Joe's yeah. just like, you don't want to know. And he's just like, whatever, man. Yeah, <laughs> like, pretty much. Yeah, what you, as if, long as I don't have to deal with them. Yeah. yeah, as long as it's not paperwork. Oh, no, they do don't they do end up bringing it up. I'm pretty sure they do. I don't remember if it was the first season or the second season. I think it's the second season. The uh, district attorney or something does bring it up. Mm-hmm. Talking yeah, about how, yeah, how right. do you have all these people locked up? It's like... Yeah. <laughs> What the hell do you do with them? Yeah, yeah. Well, Caitlin just makes you know an offhand comment though. It's like, so we're supposed to just kind of get used to running a supermax supervillain prison underneath our very feet, huh? <laughs> you know, the power and, of television. Yeah, and everyone's just like, yeah, that seems to be what the order of the day is. 
Crazy week, huh? <laughs> well, Dr. Wells couldn't possibly have these guys getting out and potentially killing Barry now, could he? Mm-mm. No, I'm sure there's no ulterior motives there. No, never. But, well, it was Cisco that pretty much came up with the idea. Well, no, they kind of did it together. Probably with That's because Cisco is awesome. Yes, and and it's just... It, one of the long, you know, running themes of the, the show is him naming the villains, and it's just it's fucking hilarious every time. Yes, it is. I love Cisco. <laughs> yeah. You can tell that kid is having so much fun being on this show. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. I, I had some problems with I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of the, the Iris Eddy stuff uh, in the beginning. You know, as we said, it's the obligatory CW soap opera stuff. But I wasn't a huge fan of either of those actors. Um, they just yeah. weren't selling it to me yet. But, man, no. from, from day one, the, the play between Grant Gustin and um, I should know the actor's name, whoever plays Joe. And of course, uh, you know Wesley Ship is Barry's dad. Uh, those three actors just clicked so well from from the get go. And every time they're on screen together, whether it's Joe and Barry or Barry and his dad, it's just like you know get get a little misty eyed sometimes. I'll admit, you know, especially like the 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 one in the hospital where Joe is like wakes up and you know just looks at Barry. And he's like, wow, it's been a long time since I saw you sleeping, you know. We almost forget that Joe is Barry's dad for all intents and purposes, you know. They, yeah, but you, they always bring it home, though. They, the two of them, all, like, they have the, – the the interaction that those two have is unbelievable. Yeah, sure. I got to think it's that the veteran actor there bringing it out of Grant Gustin because he's pretty inexperienced. But, man, he always brings it when, when they're, they have scenes together. And yeah. the guy who plays Harrison Wells is usually incredible, too. So. Yeah, Tom Cavanaugh is uh, <laughs> he's pretty intense, man. Yeah. Uh, because he's basically playing two roles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, going back to the to the Eddie thing, uh, I mean, yeah, I understand. Like the love triangle thing is is really played out. If what they if they weren't going to do with what they do with him at the end of the season, yeah, because um, the choice that he makes at the end of the season has more resonance. Because oh, yeah. of the relationship that he has, yeah, totally. Um, and I mean, they could have not done that, but it wouldn't has have been as impactful. I mean, I guess they could have made him Barry's friend or something. Well, still wouldn't still wouldn't be the same. Thing. They had to throw the comic fans a curveball to begin with, and it was oh, it, it threw me for a loop. I go, his last name's Thon. Yeah, well, not even just not... that, but not Eddie and Iris being in the weird situation that they are in because historically in the comics, it's Ed, or not Eddie and Iris, but. Very nervous, you know. Um, you'd almost expect to start out the series with them being sweethearts or something, but instead we have this weird stepsister situation and you know, unrequited love and all this stuff going on. So that was a, a definite curveball to the comic fans. And yeah, I mean, it's not exactly, you know, Silver Age Flash, but it, you know, I I like the fact that they are kind of pulling with all the pieces of the mythology from all the eras of the Flash. And- yeah kind of making their own cocktail out of it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, otherwise, I'd have no clue what was good. You know, like, oh, I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. They're throwing in curveballs, which it needs. Um, yeah, and I just – just the fact that they brought in, uh, you know, a version of Killer Frost and a version of Vibe mm. to be his his running mates. Yeah. You know, uh, which they did get their first appearance in a Arrow episode, I believe. I think that's the first time they show up. Well, yeah, because well, because he they did kind of the backdoor pilot, didn't they? Or yeah, Barry showed up in Starling City, looking for the, uh, you know, the impossible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell but, you what, who I I, I kind of ship, 
Oh my god, I can't believe I just used that term. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> Embrace her and her fangirl. <laughs> it was Barry and Caitlin, uh, like from from day one. You know that uh, they had some pretty good chemistry together. I think maybe it might be. It's one of the upcoming episodes pretty soon. We have some nice drunken karaoke with them, which is a great scene. And uh, yeah, I think I think Barry should have peeped, but we'll be getting to that. Um. Well. <laughs> Yeah, we we will get into that. We're 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 a few we're a few episodes away from that. Yeah. But uh yeah, it's uh no, it's it really is this first season of the Flash is it does kind of start hitting on all cylinders right away. Yeah, there's some wonky CW-ness, but for the most part, if you're looking to get a pretty family-friendly all ages super heroic superhero show, then the Flash is the one that you pick. Um I mean, that's the one that if I had kids, which I don't, thank God, um, you know, it's the show that I'd take like an eight or nine or 10 year old kid and sit him down and say, here you go. You'll you'll like this. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And to contrast it, man, what they can do with the special effects on the CW budget is really impressive. I mean, it's still TV special effects, man, but they they don't they're not afraid of trying stuff. No, they're not and, af- afraid and of going- gas guy couldn't have been cheap. And in contrast uh, to the Agents of Shield that we just did, I mean, Scorch didn't exactly. We had a couple smallish fire scenes with them. That's some good melty stuff, but. Well, I mean, I think that's the good thing about Super Speed. You basically you can just do it as a streak of red and yellow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. that's gotta be. They've gotta have that one like nice little subroutine that they just plop uh, into yeah, the editor. They're just jumping <laughs> in. Adobe, what do they call it? Adobe After Effects or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah they know what that is. They they've got that. You can tell when. When on this show, when they are dropping the budget, it's when they do the super slow mo with yeah. the, the full CGI of of the Flash and some of the other stuff. It's usually at the end of the season. It seems like yeah. uh, it's where the money goes. But yeah, they definitely don't skimp on showing the powers of the Flash yeah. uh, on this show or or as villains. And that was you know I, I think they had to they had to go all in on that and they you know probably might have even taken a hit <laughs> as far as budget concerns versus. Assured revenue, you know. Well, just, just starting now, you don't know what you're you're No, but the show pretty much blew up. Oh so yeah, yep. it's like they their their budgets are justified. Yeah, and uh, yeah, they've definitely shown that in in the second season and and some of the the other villains that I we never thought we'd ever see on a freaking television. King Shark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it's fun watching both of those again, and uh, yeah, definitely. So looking forward to. Our next episode, we'll be doing probably Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode 6 and Arrow episode something. Two or three, to, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah we're already already four or five episodes deep in recording, and so, yeah. Well, this would be four, I think. And, um, ah. <laughs> and I'll edit, I'll edit that all out, because that was fucking useless. Um, alright. Yeah, keep on trucking. Yeah. All right, that's been another episode of Weekly Heroics. Uh, Join us again, and um, keep watching those heroes on TV. Hero? (laughs) Um, Yeah, not me on TV. That'd be amazing if I was on TV. I'd watch your show, man, definitely. Oh, jeez. Hey, I got one viewer. (laughs) Um, Yeah, keep watching because we want to keep watching. So support these TV shows.
And if you like them. If support, you don't like them, I understand. And support Two True Freaks by clicking that on. Or, yeah, just click anything. Fucking click anything. Go to TwoTrueFreaks.com and use the Amazon link if you do plan on purchasing anything. We get a very small return there. It helps keep the, light, keep the lights on. Uh, and that's about it. So, uh, yeah, buy Flash Season 1 and, uh, you know, Seasons 1 through 3 of Arrow and the first couple seasons, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. What he said. Bye now. Weekly Heroics, a Two True Freaks Guide to Heroes on TV, is produced by Scott McGregor and Chris Tyler. Contact us by email at weeklyheroics at yahoo.com. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Shortbox Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead. Tintin. Black Lightning white tiger it tells of their rise to glory when the great guests were yet to be booked let's put it this way shogun warriors wasn't going to win any eisners and the great feats of editing not yet performed this is ultra seven this ultraman jack and this ultraman taro and this ultraman leo and this of how they spoke at length continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over but to be fair the best kind of confession is the force confession and reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers, and the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. Shield Agent Lee at your service.